Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Better Pleasure Podcast. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we have a good show for you guys today. Um, we first wanted to let you know that the Board of Supervisors of Pima County, Arizona, did pass Ordinance 2017. And this is an ordinance of the Board of Supervisors of Pima County, Arizona, relating to the public health, safety, and welfare, restricting the practice of sexual orientation change efforts, commonly known as conversion therapy. And so again, this passed, and it was for minors. So the the prohibit, prohibit, um, prohibited conduct um, in Section 9.30.030... <laughs> <laughs> like everybody needs to know that <laughs> uh, no person may engage in sexual orientation change efforts with a minor in exchange for a fee so that's what it is it is a civil infraction so it just was passed just was adopted and um, you know I was looking online and um, I saw that California did back in 2017 similar stuff and uh, there it was a uh, lawsuit at some point by um, the uh, organization National Association of Research and Therapy for Homosexuals, which is uh, the acronym NARTH. And they have their own, I saw um, on their website and their resources page, they have their own What Research Shows um, kind of article. So um, that was back in 2009 they put out that research. So... There is a battle of research always that's that's waging war on these things, right? That's right. What's what? And uh, I like what you were talking about uh, the other day. What I mean, share a little bit about your take on all this. So, uh, you know, when me and Bo were talking about it on on Wednesday, because uh, we do like to have chats about this stuff every now and then when it when it's happening. Uh, what we were talking about is just the idea that when you look through the bill and when you look through even some of the stuff that North is putting out, um, the interesting thing is, is from a minister's perspective, I can't help but, but look at it and say that I partially agree with what they're talking about. And, and let me clarify that uh, so that hopefully there's no um, distortion of what I'm trying to get across. I'm not at all saying that I like the fact that this bill passed, and I definitely see it as a possibility of coming closer and closer to infringing on uh, what me and Bo are able to do as counselors and uh, our 501c3, our nonprofit status as a church, and how the government can start moving in on that now. So I'm not too happy with the tide and the way it's going. But what I am saying is that from, an, from a secular perspective, and what Narth is getting at, uh, which is really important, is that if you if you start with a secular perspective where homosexuality, you're not talking about this from a moral issue, you're just talking about homosexuality as a practice, the problem is, is that if you try to stop people from performing a practice that they're naturally inclined to do without a moral standard, uh, without a moral foundation of why they should stop, what you're end up you, what you're going to end up doing is colliding their identity. Uh, so they see, like, uh, someone who's practicing, they're in the gay lifestyle, um, they see that as their identity. And um, you can't just go to someone like that from a secular standpoint and just say, like, oh, well, no, that's not your identity. I'm going to tell you what your identity is. 
and move it from there. Because what North is showing is that that would, that would cause somebody to go into deep amounts of depression about who they are, and it would cause them to try to, in their own strength, stop what they're doing. And so because of that, it could only lead to really one place, and that is um, either they're going to go to the place where they're deeply depressed and probably commit suicide, which happens a lot. Uh, a lot of gay youth commit does suicide. Does that, does that happen a lot? Um, well, I mean, it happens more. I don't know the exact statistics, but uh -huh. I do know that the statistics of youth that are uh, gay that commit suicide are far higher than youth that are heterosexual that commit suicide. Mm. Um, and a lot of it has to do with cultural taboos and the like. And uh, the other possibility of not going into depression and stuff like that is kind of to live uh, primarily like a fake life where you feel like you're not being true to yourself. Yeah, it's four times greater, LG, yeah. LG, uh, LGB youth. Yeah, and that that's a pretty high statistic if you think about it, it's considering the fact that the population of uh, people who identify as gay, I think, is only like 3% of the nation. So that's that's uh, pretty surprising, you know, to hear that. But when you um, when you take that together and you put it together, you, you got to understand from a Christian perspective what we as ministers are saying. We're not saying that uh, being gay or practicing gay lifestyle is uh, a secular issue. We are saying that it is a strictly moral issue. And so because of that, it makes it almost impossible for me to stand before um, a governmental board and say like, oh, we should emphasize this or we should pass this because you can't legalize morality. You can't legislate it that way, uh, especially religious morality, because there are different religions that disagree with um, the Christian stance on homosexuality. So it's, uh, it, it is really important that we understand all those figures before we kind of go at it. Now, there are Christians out there who, um, who do try to uh, go at this type of legislative thing, and it's, uh, it's noble. You know, I'm not exactly opposed to them. But it just it makes it almost impossible for a Christian like me, like a minister like me, to stand up and say that because from my perspective, it is simply a moral issue. Okay, so so when it comes to so for you in counseling, when it comes to counseling, and I'm here, I'm flipping around and like <laughs> I'm like a robot here. Uh, but for you counseling, and I don't want to tangle all the wires, like when when the ordinance gets passed that you can't um, get a fee for counseling students are, are it's, it's under the age minors, I guess it is, um, to change their sexual orientation. For you, it, it, it seems like it's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, for, for us as ministers, we don't take a fee anyway. So that doesn't really affect me or you. Mm -hmm. Now, like our good friend Lisa Keller, uh, for instance, who is, she is paid for her services. She's a licensed therapist. Mm -hmm. um, and so because of that, she is paid for her services. But um, for her, it would affect her because now um, if she does talk to one of her clients. That's under the age. That's under the age of 18. And even if it's kind of like uh, an organic conversation, yeah. Meaning it, it's like, you know, the kid is sitting there and they're like, you know, I think I might be gay. You know, I'm having these thoughts. I, you know, I do this. And, and she goes, well, maybe you're not. And she starts engaging in that because of fees exchanged. Now she's in danger of a fine. Yeah. 
And uh, because of that, like I said, it's not it's not good. I'm not glad that the culture is going this way. Um, but it's just really, really hard for someone. Is there something wrong? There's not my phone's going off. It's just like ringing. Stopped. Yay. But yeah, it's just like it, it, it wouldn't really affect us. But at the same token, it, it's impossible for someone like me to kind of go against that tide because my stance is purely a moralistic stance. Yeah. Whenever you say your stance is moral, too, you're always um, inferring religion. Yeah. So and, and that is always the argument. I was listening to a California interview with uh, Narth's um, kind of head. Uh, and North, by the way, is that, um, let me just say this again, what it was. It was the National Association for Research and Therapy for Homosexuality. And they were actually suing the state of California for a similar uh, prohibition that was put into effect back in 2012 mm-hmm. in California. But it, it the, on the interview they had with the news anchor and the head of North. Um, you know, she she put out that, you know, well, that's a moral issue. You're mixing religion, yeah. you know, and it always it, it you know, when when things like these ordinances get passed, um, they're always, you know, referring to the American Psychological Association Task Force, you mm-hmm. know, as one of the references to the scientific research. Mm-hmm. So it always kind of it always reinforces that idea that science is against religion. Yeah. That if, you know what I mean? Yeah. That if you go against it, then, oh, that's because, you know, it's it's moral. Yeah. And I think a part of that's not bad myself. Yeah. You know? Yeah, neither do I, and, and I'm on board with you. And the issue that I would get at with someone like that is we have a fundamental difference between where we think morality comes from. You know, for them, they believe that morality comes strictly from uh, a, a ne- an evolutionary response, a preservation of our species. Yeah, Freudian, you know, Freud, the founder of modern-day psychology, right? That's right. Just so if it's best for our species to do something, then we should do it. And if it's bad for our species to do something, then we shouldn't do it. And that's kind of their definition. Now, um, when you get into that, though, there's tons of quagmires of like, well, how do you determine what's strictly best for our species? Like, how do you really know? And they'll say something like, well, you know, pain determines it and progenity determines it and weird things like that. And they get into it and there's a lot of different quagmires. Whereas me as a Christian, I would say like, well, I believe that there is a God. And if there is a God, that means that his very nature and essence defines what morality is. So if he says something is right, then it's right. If he says something is wrong, then it's wrong. But if I'm talking to someone who doesn't believe in God, uh, we are kind of at a head. Like, we can't really. Yeah, and in a, in, a, in a state that we live in, if they're trying to separate that kind of morality, the God thing, from and not put that trip on other people, mm. then you could see why they would do what they do by rejecting any idea of morality being a playmaker in deciding ordinances like this. Yeah. Right? Because they're, they're saying, hey, that's a morality issue. That's one of God. Yeah. You know, what if a kid, you know, maybe that's the problem. And that's what one of the news anchors says is maybe the problem is, is when you bring a kid into some kind of therapy and they're trying to get changed or the parents want them to get changed, 
maybe the issue basically is that it, that's the problem is the parents want to change the individual. Yeah. You know, that may, you know, maybe it's fine. Yeah. It's like, why, maybe if you just say, Hey, what you're doing is good, man. It's okay. Yeah. You know, it's okay to want to be a different gender. Yeah. Um, but the, the problem I see logically with that is that if it's, pro if it's okay to change gender, then it's okay to change gender. Yeah. Meaning there's no stop yeah. to that. Meaning what if they change gender and then they want to change gender again? Yeah. Then they want to change it again. Yeah. See, you can never at at any point now, you can never question the change. Yeah. Because you've already set the precedent at the beginning. Yeah. That you don't you're not supposed to change. You're not <laughs> supposed to question the change. Yeah. So that's kind of odd, huh? It is odd. And and this gets into what I believe is probably one of the number one flaws in modern day psychology if I uh, don't want to get too into it but uh, the first problem the first flaw that I'd get into is from a secular standpoint the secularist believes that he's the most enlightened um, just from his own point of view and usually what a secularist will say is they'll be like well you know it's kind of like the blind man I mean the four blind men and the elephant which is a ancient, you know, Hindu proverb, and it's basically like four blind men encounter an elephant, and they're all feeling it, and the first one feels its torso and says, "Oh, I think the elephant is like a wall," and then the second one feels like it's just it's one of its legs and says, "No, it's like a tree," and the third one feels its tail and says, "No, it's kind of like a snake," and then you know the 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 fourth one feels one of its tusks and says, "No, it's very pointy," and so you have these four blind men describing one animal but each only have one part. And what a secularist would say is like, well, that's what religion is. Religion's trying to guess at morality, and every religion has equally valid points, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out what the elephant really looks like. And that seems very humble, but when you think about it, it's really not. Because what the secularist is claiming is they're claiming to be the one person who could see in a world of blind men. You know, to put it another way, what they've just said is that every religious person, in their view of morality, is blind, and they're the only people that can actually see the truth. Mm. And that's a very arrogant statement. So it's like, yeah, from my religious standpoint, I do believe that my morality is correct and theirs is wrong. But the secularist makes the same point while thinking that they're not. That's right. So the, what you're saying is that, is that, when someone says, well, hey, we got to separate morality in the science, and so we're going to make decisions based off of the, the scientific, quote, research, it's not that that stuff's amoral, mm. right? That's what you're saying, is that, that, is, yeah. is <laughs> that they're making judgments That's right. They on, are ma making on many things. Yeah, they're making moral judgments from their own point of view. Yeah. Because you could say, you know, how did the... Uh, how, do, how does every culture really define what morality is? And you could say, well, it's religion. Well, it's really not. You know, when you look at like Hammurabi's code, uh, for instance, which was like the first, what we say, the code of ethics that was discovered before uh, the Old Testament even. But, you know, when you have like Hammurabi's code or any of these other ancient documents from cultures, it's not like these people are claiming that God gave them a revelation of morality. Christianity is the only religion that I know of that we say that God gave us a divine revelation of his nature, and from his nature we get morality. I, I'm, I'm the, I mean, unless I'm forgetting another religion, but only Christianity, I mean, Jude Judaism, and the religions that spouted from Judaism. Or Christianity. Yeah, which would be Christianity, Islam, 
Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, we're the only ones that kind of make that claim. Hinduism doesn't make that claim. The Greeks never made that claim. Romans never made that claim, right? So um, when you look at it, they all define morality through what they called science, through what they called the discovery of truth through a looking at nature. And that's exactly what our culture is doing. And my point is, is that by saying that, you're not taking no stance. Like the government's not saying we're not taking a stance in and what a is moral morality. stance. That's right. You are taking a stance. It's just one that is devoid of religion, but it's still a stance. Yeah, and it's almost like in the Bible, you know, it's always talking about don't reject wisdom, don't reject wisdom, don't mm. reject it, you know. And it's not that you're not, it's, it's like from a biblical perspective, wisdom is wrapped up in knowing God mm. because God, you're right, that morality stems from the nature of who God is. And and it's through a a belief in God that we define uh, morality for us, you know, so it comes from God to us. Mm. Um, and the warning is always don't reject wisdom, which is knowing God. Mm. Um, because then there is another form of morality that that we cling to. And and to me, this is the root of a lot of these issues is is that is that when you when you say you're that, hey, you know what? I don't want that because that's your morality. You don't put your morality trip on me. And, and we understand that that's that those people aren't being amoral. They're being moral, but they're just believing in a different morality. Yeah. But it's just what is that morality in? Yeah. And that's what I always look at. And I wanted to kind of segue into this topic of of attractiveness mm. and we live in a culture that says hey when you, I'm attracted to that person we equate that to sexual identity um, and to me it's like we it, it's an issue of rejecting wisdom uh, biblical wisdom because now it's all it's all autonomous mm. everything is about us governing us yeah and and that's what the Bible seems to try to get us to reject <laughs> you know it's like don't don't, you're not autonomous. Yeah. You know, you weren't made to be a, autonomous. Mm. You know, you are a part of a bigger picture. Yeah. And it, it seems like today we don't see that at all. We we want autonomy above all else. Yeah. You know, even when it comes to now, um, you know, or not just now, but all throughout history, but it just seems now more than ever, mm. you know, this, this, you know, I look at someone and I go, man, I'm attracted to those people. That's going to define my sexuality. Yeah. You know, and, you know, what do you see is the big problem with that? Like yeah. when you, when you equate attraction yeah, with sexual identity. Yeah. And, and I do want to comment on that, but I want to yeah. comment on something that you said yeah. before that yeah, yeah, I yeah. think is really important um, for those listening. And that is the idea of autonomy governing us. And uh, what, our culture thinks freedom is is like everyone can do what is right in their own eyes and in the bible there's a book called judges that when you read through it it is a book that defines the failure of humanity basically why why humanity is just such a mess and there's a refrain in that book where the author is making a commentary on what is wrong with mankind and he says this there was no king in israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes and when you look at the story of Judges, the interesting thing is, is that not everybody's a scumbag. There are some people that are relatively okay in that book, but there are people who are super evil. And this is what the book's point is. 
when you allow people to do whatever is right in their own eyes, some people, what's right in their own eyes is to be what we would call like a moral person. But some people, to do what's right in their own eyes would be to go against what we would call morality, and they think it's right. And this reminds me of Ravi Zacharias, who's a very famous Christian apologist. He was asked one day, he says, uh, someone asked him in, in England, it was a student, and they asked him, they're like, what makes you so afraid of secular-based morality? And Ravi Zacharias just kind of shook his head, and he laughed, and he said, um, do you lock your doors at night? And the guy says, of course. And he's like, well, why do you lock your doors? And he's like, so no one breaks in. So he's like, so you're acknowledging that there is a wickedness in man that would want to rob you and take what's yours by force. And he says, yes. And he says, that's what's wrong with secular-based morality. Some people will be like you, where they're going to be good, they're going to be moral, but some people won't. And the government realizes this because, you know, like we've been talking about, it's not like North is saying, let's throw off morality and everyone does what's right in their own eyes. They're now looking at the Christian and they're saying, it's morally wrong to tell somebody that their sexual identity is based on a religious book. Yeah, North is actually pro. Yeah. A- I mean, they're actually, I mean, they're actually fighting against the state. That's right. So, yeah. That's right. So it's not that these people are taking no stance. Like mm-hmm. they are taking a stance. And it's not like they look at me and they say, hey, do whatever is right in your own eyes, Peter. You know, we're going to do what's right in our own eyes. You do what's right in your own eyes. They've now taken a moral stance that they have personally, and they've now legally enforced it on everybody. And it's important for people to see that because even our government realizes that you can't, you can't live a life of autonomy. You can't just let people do whatever's right in their own eyes. There has to be law. If you really believed, if you really believed that everyone should just do whatever they think is right, then there wouldn't be law. Then there wouldn't be law. There wouldn't be government. We'd live in anarchy and it'd be crazy. And if, and everyone, and no anyone who's ever studied history knows that whenever humanity descends into anarchy, it ain't good. You know, look up any natural disaster. Look up the Los Angeles riots, the Detroit riots, what happened to Hurricane Katrina, what happened to Hurricane Sandy. Whenever law ceases to be a problem, humanity descends into madness. Sure. They really do. And even uh, even for me, as, as someone who went into the military and, and flew overseas, whenever people, you know, good men that I was around, whenever you give people the green light to say it's no longer morally wrong to do to, you know, uh, obtain people it's no longer morally wrong to kill people in certain circumstances you see that when that moral restriction is taken off somebody things go crazy not everybody but some people when they get that green light you see the only thing that was keeping them in the normal stasis the normal status quo was that law yeah well i mean think about it in every form of life i mean just basic thing when you have a green light to eat all you can eat at a place (laughs) you're gonna eat all you can eat you know you're gonna (laughs) eat you know and that's just a a simple you know uh analogy of just the human condition you know when you give us a lot of sexual things to be able to view view we're probably gonna view them (laughs) 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 probably gonna look at them you know when you give us uh, you know all the uh stuff on the internet that we can view you know the stuff that's available we usually go those directions Mm. um we usually indulge Mm. you know whenever restraint is taken off that's right that's right and that's why morality can never be gained from this view um, C.S. Lewis was very famous as saying in The Abolition of Man, he says, what makes a window useful is that you could see something on the other side. But if the entire world were made out of glass, a window would become useless. 
And what he means is that when you have a philosophy that enables you to see through something, it's useful only if you're trying to see through it to something else. But when you have a philosophy that destroys all things, you have a useless philosophy. So for instance, for a Christian, I would say, like even the conversation we're having right now, does attractiveness define gender? That is what we would call a window in philosophy. We're trying to look through something to see the truth on the other side. But if I say, do whatever is right in your own eyes, what that is, is that's an infinite glass system. Where it's like, the second I get to the place where I'm like, okay, well, I think it's right to define my own sexuality. And I think it's wrong for you to tell me how to live. Well, now I've just told you that you're wrong. Now I'm putting my moral trip on you. So now it's no longer okay for you to live according to what's right in your own eyes, only what's okay with me. And you see what I mean? Yeah. And the second I undermine that, then it's like, okay, well, is it right for me to feel right about my sexuality when this person says I'm wrong? Because now I've destroyed any barrier between what my moral belief is and what your moral belief is, and there is no objective standard to judge between the two. Mm. So it's useless, and that's what C.S. Lewis is getting at. Yeah. So we've defined a system that is useless, and what we've done, I don't know if people realize this or not, but what we've essentially done is we've put it ourselves in the position where the only person who has the right to define what morality is is the government. And we call that socialism. That's what we're moving towards, whether people know it or not. When the government has the right to define what is right and wrong, that's what we call socialism. And that is the exact type of government, um, that dictatorship, that, that government that could self-style itself and define what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. That's the exact kind of government that our forefathers didn't want which is why they gave us amendments as citizens to stand up and to fight against what the government's doing. Yeah, so people against like the ordinance two, uh, two o, uh, number 2017 in Tucson, the one that is prohibiting the restriction practices of sexual orientation change efforts commonly known as conversion therapy on minors. Um, um, I was going to tell, I was just, I wanted to just hit that button real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the 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 opposition would be that that this limits the freedom of a parent to be able to make decisions regarding their minor. That's right. So so now the government is telling you how to raise your kids. Right. So th so you have a kid. Your kid somehow is, you know, you think their gender identity is confused. Um, you think that they, whatever it is, their sexual identity is confused. You want them to get professional help. Um, you think this um, conversion therapy is important to see a professional therapist that deals with this kind of conversion therapy, mm. dealing with maybe trauma in the kid's life, things like that. Um, you know, they can't do it. Mm. So... You know, it, it brings up some other questions to me um, are just uh, some things that just aren't aren't. I don't know if they're really defined in this uh, ordinance mm -hmm. in Tucson. Um, like what if you're a minor and you are, say, you're bisexual. You've been you've been practicing bisexuality in high school mm -hmm. and you just go, you know what, man, I'm tired of this. I don't like it. I'm depressed. I'm bummed. I don't I, I don't feel good about it. You know, I want to get help. Hmm. You go to your parents, you say, man, I want help. Parents say, you know what? We can't take you to any professionals. 
because they can't change your mind. They can't do anything to change your mind. I, is that how it works too? Hmm. You know, like if a, if 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 a minor volitionally wants to go to therapy, I mean, why can't someone who's 17 years old hmm. make a decision to want to get the therapy they want to get hmm. professionally? I don't understand. Like that that to me makes no sense. Yeah. You know, or if someone is heterosexual at 17 years old and they go, you know what, man, I'm depressed and bummed to be heterosexual. I want to be homosexual. I want to go find a therapist. You know, why can't he do it? Yeah. You know, that's, isn't, uh, why can't he make a decision? Why can't he get with his parents and say, parents, uh, this is what I want to do. And parents go, yeah, okay, cool. Let's go see a therapist. You know, um, you know, why can't, this happen you know why can't these people make up make decisions and do it it seems like the law here now is preventing people from from making decisions you know meaning it's trying not to it's trying to say hey we don't want we're not we're not we don't want to restrict people from making decisions but we're going to make a law to restrict people to make decisions yeah it seems like they've just contradicted their their purpose yeah am i making sense yeah no you are and it's true you know, you have restricted people. And um, that that also gets into another really important point um, in what we're going over, and that is restricting truths, uh, restrictions can be good as so long as they are true. But truth cannot be determined by a secularistic kind of, a, you know, moral ambiguity kind of foundation. And what I mean by that is if I tell... If I tell somebody, say, uh, let's say a little five-year-old, as much as it might pain them, if I tell them, like, you cannot breathe underwater you know you can't do that you can't live underwater you can't do it we have restrictions as human beings we can't do that um i have in an essence i have restricted that person from trying to live a certain way however i've also just saved their life that's right because it's a true restriction that's a true restriction that is in keeping with that person's biology now what we're trying to say as christians is what if moral truths are just as real as physical truths. So what if me saying that going against your God-given sexuality could be just as harmful to you as someone trying to go against their biology um, with trying to breathe underwater or trying to fly or whatever else or trying to put um, ethylene glycol inside of their mouth and try to swallow it as water. You know, you, you can... You, if you do things like that, you're going to damage your vessel because it goes against your biology. But what if you really were made by a creator who's designed you with moral truths that would be good for you or bad for you? And he's the only one that knows them. And so when we're talking about restrictions, obviously I'm not saying that we're not saying at all that restrictions are bad. I think it's good that the government says you can't kill people, right? That's a restriction that puts on people. I can't go out and just shoot someone in the head because I don't like them. But even that's based on a moral standard. But it's based on a moral standard. And so both me and the secularist would shake hands and say, yes, that is a good restriction because it prevents people from killing others. And uh, we'd be like, yeah, it's good. But once again, I have a foundation that says why it's wrong, whereas they do not. They have to go through a lot of machinations to try to figure out why it's wrong for them. And even so, you get into gray areas yeah. of like, okay, well, is it right for me to kill somebody who's breaking into my home? Is it right for me to kill someone, prevent them to, from killing somebody else? Is it right, you know? Yeah. And it gets into some weird stuff. But 
just speaking on a, on, a, on a level right here, this ordinance has restricted people. It has restricted people. Now, that could be a good thing and a bad thing, but the only way to determine if it's good or bad is to determine if it's true or not. Is it truth? Yeah. And what I'm saying is that their data and stuff doesn't account for the truth because you can't just say, well, we can't look at it from a religious perspective. Don't bring your religion in here. Well, that's only true if my religion is what? Wrong. If it's wrong. If Christianity is wrong, if Jesus did not die on the cross, if he didn't rise from the dead, if everything that he said is bogus, if God really didn't create the earth in seven literal days, like the book of Genesis says, you're right, man. You're right. I shouldn't bring my religion in here because it is just my bias. But if God did create the world, if Jesus is who he said he was, if he did die on the cross, if he did rise again, I should take what he said seriously because he's the designer. And the designer knows what is good for me as his, as his creation. Yeah. And like a government who goes, hey, we don't want to go there, though, Peter, man, because now you're talking about us making a choice on religions and deciphering that. And we don't want to do that. So, so we're going to go secular. A lot of times we think that that is that going secular means, again, no a, an amoral stance. Mm. But it doesn't. It means they're, they're taking a moral stance, but it's based on another set of maybe, maybe um, truth statements, you know, and that is what we call, you know, today science mm. and, you know, psychological science. And mm. sometimes I call it pseudoscience because it's, it's not based in like too much like empirical evidence like you would think of like a lab work where you mm. you drop a ball in a lab and you go okay and you measure something and you drop it again and you drop a heavier ball and you drop a lighter ball and then you're measuring those and how fast it it flew to the ground or it went to the ground dropped to the ground and yeah. no it, it's not like that it's more like behavioral tests you yeah. know and um, it's subjective like uh, i heard one psychologist put it this way he said you know if if i were a doctor and somebody came to me and they had, um, if they had abdominal cramps or something like that, caused by ulcers or something like that. And I told them to stand on their head for six hours. And they did it for six hours and it cured their ulcers. That's empirical evidence that standing on your head for six hours can actually cure you. But if I have uh, someone who comes to me says they're struggling with anxiety, depression, fears, worries, de whatever, uh, suicidal thoughts, and I tell them to stand on their head for six hours and they said it makes them feel better, that's not empirical evidence because that's subjective. I could stand this guy on his head for six hours and he feels better and it's cured him and that's good for him. But if I stand you on your head for six hours, you may feel worse. And so it's not good for you. And so the problem with psychology is that it can never be as true a science as people want it to be because it is subjective to how people feel and react. Right, it's contingent to their whole life situation. That's right. It's not like a medicine that I can give somebody that I'm like, this is empirically tested. When it enters into your body, this is the effect that's going to have on your biology. Yeah. Um, when I'm talking about psychology, the therapy treatments that I give you, they can be good and they can be bad, but it is subjective to change depending on you as an individual. Yeah. And that's why it's difficult to call it a <laughs> science, a, science a, traditional a bona fide science. science. Yeah. I think even like more of the the natural sciences look at psychology and they they have little bywords for <laughs> it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's how it works, but you know, I mean the the um what is it the um 
psychological, um, mag, you know, or, or, um, diagnosis, you know, has changed over the years. You know, it just, it's, it, it obviously becomes subjective because one time at one point masturbation was part of the disease. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? You have all these things that were part of a disease and, right. and, and, and things like that. And now it's no longer disorders and, and, um, you know, but you know, yeah. So, so that research, it's hard when they say, Hey, we're not taking a moral stance. Um, we're just using science. Yeah. Really, even that that quote science, that psychological research that they're taking, is really based on a lot of subjectivity. Mm. Um, and 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 there there there's really a lot to to leave us wanting. Yeah. You know, really. Um, you know, you can take those researches probably. And I've read a lot, some a lot, quite a bit of research papers. And it's funny because I'll uh, someone will make a point. And they'll pull out a part of that research, and I'll, so I'll read the research paper. But it seems like it's saying the exact opposite <laughs> of what they quoted. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it seems like you can really utilize research in many different ways. That's right, and um, and that's the great danger of what we're talking about of taking um, a stance and not calling it a stance of saying like we're fighting for reason based on science, um, but we're kicking out alternative ideologies that are based on what we call religion. Um, the problem with that, the, the great negative with that, is the same thing that we as Christians would argue when it comes to, say, geological science or things like that. Where we would say, like, the science that you're working on, this uniformitarian idea of how the earth is, only works if there is no God and we came here by natural means. And the same thing with a, with a psychologist. You say, like, okay, well, this is based on science, but it's only based on science if there is no God. There is no spirit. So there's there that presupposition. No, there is a presupposition that leads you to those conclusions, and it shuts out alternative ideologies, which is dangerous um, because now what you're dealing with is you're dealing with a group of people who have their authority, they have their will, they're descended from Freud, who was an atheist, right? And you have this, these, these ideologies that are based on secularism, and the problem is, the issue is, is that now that they have the power, they can transition the data to say whatever they really want it to say. And yeah, it's through their lens. It's through their lens, and they have, the, they have the authority, and they have the degrees, and they ran the research, and so because of that, there's really nothing we can say. Um, but like I said, it's based on a presupposition, and you can't really say, well, that's not an issue. It is an issue, right? When you're talking about, like, Christianity is one of the few religions that's founded on fact, right? It's either true or it isn't. Um, there is no middle ground. You can't say like, well, I believe in Christianity, but I also think that, you know, it's valid that Jesus actually wasn't who he said he was. And you can't say that. You know, y right. you, either he was or he wasn't. That's, that's really the truth um, about the matter. And even Paul says, if he hasn't been risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. You're still in your sins. You know, let's eat and drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Right? So the apostles were adamantly against that kind of ambiguity there of mm -hmm. saying like you're valid your point's valid my point's valid let's all just figure it out when we get there you know he believed in the stuff that he was saying to people and in the corrections he was giving people based on the reality of christ and the apostle paul and the other apostles did not steer away from the issue of homosexuality they mm -hmm. attacked it head on and either they're right in doing that or they're wrong in doing that and my point is that whether they were right or wrong depends on whether or not Jesus really was who he said he was on that reality. And so you can't just look at that and say, like, well, that's not an issue that we need to discover right now. Well, it absolutely is. 
Um, if you're going to make if you're going to make statements and saying that you're being totally unbiased and nonpartisan and you're basing everything on science, well, you know what? The God of the Bible is based in science because He created it. So you need to look at it from that lens. You need to see what what people are getting at. Mm -hmm. And um, so even with the idea of attraction, you know, why do I as a Christian say that attraction does not define you in your gender and it does not identify you in your sexuality? Well, because I believe that I was created with intent and purpose. Yeah. I was created as a male and as a male, the way that I glorify God is exploring my sexuality in uh, with one woman, right? Not many women, but with one woman in dedication for a lifetime relationship. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Because if you took if you took out if you took out the the idea of wisdom being uh, rooted in God, hmm. right? And then even gender becomes kind of you can kind of mess around with. That can be subjective somewhat. You yeah. You could just say, oh, well, it's just made up. Yeah. You know, even though biologically it seems like it's pretty obvious that there's genders, mm. you know, but you can say, hey, it doesn't, you know, you know, that's just, you know, male, female thing. That's just a, a made up kind of thing that humans made up. Why don't we, we redefine it now? Yeah. And do something different with it. I guess if you reject, you know, uh, God being the creator of those things, I guess you could go in different directions. Yeah. To me, it's like, you know, it, it's like, I think of my own, just my own existence and like, like what if I went off of all of the attractiveness that I've felt over the years? Mm. Um, to me, again, that's an autonomous kind of viewpoint of like going, I am going to govern my sexuality. Mm. I think I can govern it better than, than, than God. Now, and, and believe me, I want people to have the freedom. Uh, and, and a part of me goes, I understand why I want people to have the free. Like, I don't want the government to tell you what you're doing, you know, so much with your sexuality mm. um, in some ways. Because what if someone, you know, makes me do something? What if someone said, Bo, you need to have many wives? Yeah. You know, I'd be like, oh, well, I don't want them. You know, what if, <laughs> you know what I mean? But you have to. Yeah. You know, we don't want that. Yeah. You know, so so government is basing um, sexual laws based on some form of morality. Yeah. You know, and let's face it. I mean, it, we are really rooted in a Christian, um, morality of mm. sexuality in our laws. Um, recently that starts breaking down a little bit, mm. you know, we see, uh, with some of the decisions that have been made recently. Mm. Um, but overall it's, you know, polygamy has been illegal, you know, incest is illegal. You know, there's a lot of those things that just is an illegal thing. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. So there are lines to attraction. Yeah, there are lines. That are drawn. Even today. Yeah. Right? So if you have an attraction to a young girl and you're an old man, you you're that's illegal. Yeah. You're not supposed to do that. So it's weird because at one point, everybody, you know, the government says it's it's illegal. You know, you can't just go with what you're attracted to. But on the other hand, it's like, no, you can go to what you're attracted <laughs> to, you know, yeah. and we're trying to figure that out, yeah. you know. And what I'm saying is that that before I knew Christ, that's just a real confusing way to live. Yeah. Because it's so subjective. Yeah. You know, it can change. Your own mind changes all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and what the Bible is saying is that you look to God 
who's objective. He's outside. He's the one who governs. He, he governs our morality because our morality stems from him. Yeah. So, so it's solid. It doesn't change. God doesn't change. Yeah. You know, his ways don't change. Those type of things. So, um, you know, I think in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's great. It says your body's not your own. Yeah. You know, so I'm not to define my own uh, sexuality mm. anymore. You know, my sexuality now comes under God. Yeah. You know, um, those type of things. You know, and let's face it. We're such insecure, fearful creatures that if our sexuality is defined by ourselves, who's to say that our, our decision-making is going to be good, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, right. One, you, you keep bringing up the topic of wisdom, and one of the major points of wisdom that the Bible tries to get across to us is do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. What he means is, like, don't think you're right. You know, fear the Lord. Like, God knows what's right. Don't don't think you know it's right. You know, God knows it's right. Fear him and trust him. Um, and don't go your own way. And that's, in, in the Bible, that's a cornerstone to wisdom. If you don't have that, the Bible says you cannot be wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, so you can't actually have wisdom unless you have that fear of the Lord, that understanding of the one who, uh, who created you. And, and the easiest way for me to put it to someone would be like this. If I wanted to have wisdom regarding my vehicle, regarding the car that I drive, if I wanted to really understand the inner workings of it, if I wanted to treat it in such a way that its life would be prosperous and awesome, it would give me the best return for what I put into it, I would consult the creator. I would go to the Toyota manufacturer and I would say, what should I do with this vehicle? I would consult them. And nobody on earth would look at me doing that and say, you're a fool, Peter. You know, why don't you just decide for what, what you think is right to do with your car? If you think you should put diesel in the tank, put diesel in the tank, Peter. If you think you should drive it into the wash, because do it, <laughs> you just do it. Because it's what feels right for you. Nobody would tell me that. They would be like, that's stupid. You need to consult the creator. And so why is it foolish for me as a Christian to consult my creator on what he's designed for me? You know, why is that a foolish thing to do if there is a creator? And the, the most important thing to understand is that Christianity right now is not being defined, the, the majority of the church, should I say, Christianity is always defined on Christ, but the majority of the church in America today, we're getting our view system from the culture and not from the scriptures anymore. And that's a dangerous thing because cultures are always subject to change. And everything positive that has happened in Western civilization, every positive step forward that we enjoy so much has been because Christians have gone counter to culture based on the scriptures, right? The liberation of women. That came from Christians who read the Bible and realized like, oh my gosh, like in the image of God, Genesis 1 verse 27, in the image of God, he made them plural, male and female. That means my wife is equal with me, right? And that's where that came from. When we decided to right, William Wilberforce and, and all that stuff, when they decided to, to get rid of slavery, where did that come from? came from Christians who looked at the culture and said, the culture is wrong. doesn't matter your race, you're a human being. A human being is a human being, and therefore we have no right to, to subjugate another human being. Right? So every, when we look at the, the amazing positive changes that have happened in our society, it's come from Christians going against culture through Scripture and not the other way around. And that's why it's important 
now more than ever to stand on what the word of God says. Mm, yeah, so true. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Better Pleasure podcast. Me and Peter totally appreciate it. We hope the uh, live Facebook went cool and um, you guys kind of got something out of it. Um, we're going to probably do this a little more where we actually do a live feed, uh, Peter. It might be really cool. Yeah. Um, there's some people that joined. We thank you guys for doing that. Um, the issues me and Peter love to talk about is always the Bible and how it relates to um, our culture when it deals with sexuality and, and um, issues of sex. And we talk a lot about, you know, uh, of course, cultural issues, whether it's sex trafficking or, or pornography and stuff like that. So um, thanks a lot for checking it out. And um, you guys can always, uh, you know, follow us on Twitter at Running Light or check out the SoundCloud podcast at SoundCloud.com on Running Light. And you can always ask us questions as well if you want. And maybe we'll be able to answer. Who knows, right, Peter? (laughs) (laughs) So we'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.